All right, Ephesians chapter 5. And what we do here at Calvary Chapel is we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord and then we sit for the word of the teacher. So if you'd stand with me, I'd appreciate it. Now, we did the first two verses of chapter 5 last week, and uh, we're going to pick up a little bit more. We're going to go through verse 7. So let me read. I'm going to begin with verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. That's what we're going to cover today, so let's pray. It's a heavy passage. By the way, while we're praying, this is an adult Bible study. Uh, I have covered with my 12-year-old son everything. He's been exposed to everything I'm going to share today. I would say under 12 years of age, my personal opinion, maybe while we're praying, you can get the kids over to an age-appropriate class next door. But parents, you make the call. You're the stewards of their lives. But I am going to go into detail on some stuff. So, And some of you older ones going, well, I'm not going to stay for this. It's all right, too. You can, <laughs> But I'm, I'm going I'm to be straightforward. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we undertake the study of these passages, the heaviness of this idea that you say anyone who falls in line with some of these things has... No inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Lord, those are heavy words. And I pray, Lord, that you would lead us into all truth, that you would show us how to be pure in an unpure world, how to walk as saints. That's what you said, as is fitting for saints. Tell us what that word means, Lord. So, God, we ask that you'd lead us into all truth. I pray your blessing upon the study now, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Relax. <clears throat> I, I really wanted to skip this passage. Um, but we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the scriptures, and we're taking a look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. The word epistle means letter. And he wrote this to the church at Ephesus. He had pastored that church for three years. While he's writing this letter to that church that he pastored for three years, he's in prison in Rome. Now, <clears throat> Ephesus, uh, I've shared with some of you, Ephesus, I have, I've had the privilege of visiting the, the ruins of that city. It was a port city. It was also a trade route. It was a very busy city. It was a very large city in the Roman Empire. It's in modern-day Turkey now. And Ephesus, uh, it, it's probably the, uh, the most amazing archaeological dig in all the world because what's still preserved there, and they've still got extensive work to be done, but you look at the library there, and, and the library is even amazing with the pillars and the, the columns and all the, uh, the, the ruins that still remain there. One of the things that fascinated me, my daughter reminded me of it, is in the library, they've got this tunnel, this secret tunnel. So men would say, honey, I'm going to the library. And they go to the library and then go through the secret tunnel, and it would drop you off right into the brothel region where all the prostitutes and everything were. And, uh, and the city itself, uh, the, the center theme of the city was the temple of Aphrodite or Diana. Um, this is where we get the word 
uh, erotic or eros, the word eros. And we studied those three types of love last week. Eros, remember, was a selfish love only intended for objects. So it's a love you have for a thing because of how it makes you feel. Um, you know, I, I, I love this car because it makes me feel young or, or, you know, and as I made the joke, I love this shirt because it makes me look skinny and then you say, no, it doesn't. But that's that picture that we see of, of things and the love we have for things. Now, a human can love another human being with this love, this Eros love. The only requirement is that they have to reduce their value from being the pinnacle of God's creation to being that of an object. And so, you know, we, we want our girls to dress like objects and, and men treat them like objects. And, and so this is, though it was the lowest form of love in the Greek mindset, it's, it's uh, the most prolific form of love in our culture today. And it was a very prolific form of love in Ephesus because everything about Ephesus was eros. Uh, everything in Ephesus was about sex. Uh, the temple of Aphrodite or Diana, a thousand temple prostitutes would come down out of the temple every evening and ply their trade with the merchants and the sailors that would come in. And then the money that they would, they would get from plying the trade of prostitution, they would pay for the upkeep of the temple itself and the priests and the priestesses. And, and this is how they, they, this is what they worshipped and how they worshipped. And not only were there a thousand temple prostitutes in this temple of Diana, which was extensive, and, and, and the whole city was involved in sexual promiscuity and sexual immorality, but in addition, every woman that resided within the um, the limits, the city limits of Ephesus, two times a year was required to offer her services as a temple prostitute. So every family was affected by prostitution. Every family was affected by sexual immorality. And it was rampant. <clears throat> as a matter of fact, one of the things you find when you, when you go through the Mediterranean regions, you look at some of the, the archaeological finds of the Greeks and the Romans, is you, you find an extensive amount of work. Now, they didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have uh, printing and the like. But what they did have is clay figurines. And, and a, a graphic display, especially in Ephesus, of all of these figurines, these pornographic figurines. Um, and this, is, this was their pornography at the time. And there's a boatload of them, just a ton of them. Uh, we were walking, especially when we were in Alexandria, going through the, the museum there and seeing all. There's a whole display of these things. And I mean, as graphic as you can imagine. If you can think of it, it was made out of clay. And there's the picture of it. Uh, it would be the same thing that we experience today, whether it be on the internet or in magazines or in videos, etc. They had that in Ephesus. And the whole city was focused around uh, sex. That it was just all about sex. If you were wealthy in Ephesus, uh, not only did you have your wife, who was the mother of your children, but in addition, uh, it was a status symbol to have multiple mistresses. And there was even different classes of mistresses. There were handmaids, there was mistresses, there was those that that you would permit into the house. There were others that you would keep an apartment for or another uh, location that you would keep for them. There were those that were secret. There were those that were, you know, high, higher end, those that were, you know, low end, et cetera. Um, there, there was uh, um, not only was, was there fornication, but there was uh, homosexuality. There was bestiality. There was necrophilia. I won't even go into that if you don't know what it is. But the, if, if, if the mind could conceive it, the citizens of Ephesus, Ephesus achieved it. And, and they did it on a daily basis. And so this entire city has been inundated with, with sexual immorality for generations. And, and before we cast stones at the city of Ephesus, they would marvel. They would marvel at what we've achieved in the United States of America. 80% of all um, 
activity on the internet is related to pornography. 80% of all usage on the internet is related to pornography in some way, shape, or form. Some of you are going, well, I, I use the internet every day, and I don't. <laughs> Good for you. But I got news for you. 80, most of the revenue generated comes through pornography on the internet. And, and when we look <clears throat> at, at Ephesus and we compare it to the United States of America, there were some startling things in my study that blew me away. Um, one in particular, only 11% of Americans, only 11% of Americans have, have um, had only one sexual partner in the course of their lifetime. I guess that didn't affect you. I thought that was shocking. Only 11% of Americans have had one sexual partner in the course of their lifetime. Now, you compare that to India. India, 77% of the citizens of India have remained with one partner through the course of their lifetime. America is a mess. Um, uh, Here's a number, 14.3. 14.3. That's the average number of sexual partners an American will have in the course of their lifetime, 14.3. Now, for men, it's 18.4. For women, it's 10.2. And that, that number is starting to balance and equal. Uh, sexual promiscuity in the United States of America. The average age for sexual intercourse in the United States of America is 16. We, we surpass every other nation in the world, even the Western states. I mean, we, we, we beat France. You think about the 14.3, the average number of partners an American citizen will have in the course of their lifetime. In France, it's 13.2. We even beat France. We, we uh, are a mess. We're a mess. And, and um, when, we, when we conceive of what Paul was experiencing in Ephesus, it's not hard for us now as American citizens in, in, in the course of our day, the things that we've experienced. It's not hard to relate to what Paul's trying to do here. You remember last week when we began the study, and Paul goes through this picture of what it means to be a Christian, and he loves this church in Ephesus, and he's pouring his life into this church, and he's dealing with families that are generationally affected by sexual immorality. Now, I remember I was 10 years old, going on 11. Um, we, we had, uh, my, there, I had a friend who had an older brother and a younger brother, and I, I would hang around with his family, and they lived a few houses from us. And, and my friend's family, his father divorced his mother. He was a Navy pilot, took off with another gal. And uh, the older son, the, my friend's older brother, um, you know, wanted to have a connection with his dad. And his dad, you know, just being the macho guy that he was, gave his uh, 14-year-old son his collection of Playboy and Penthouse magazines and then continued to send him a subscription to them. And I was 10 going on 11, and he was 14, and he gave me his old magazines. It was, a, it was a shopping bag full of old magazines. And that was my first exposure to pornography and quite an exposure. And, and you, you take the lid off of Pandora's box. And this is, this is at an impressionable age where for the rest of your life, you're trying to put the lid back on it. Now, for those of you who are standing in judgment of me, and you think in some regard that that's just shocking that a pastor would say that, well, that was my generation. And I'm looking around the room, and I'm not seeing much better. <laughs> I think we're all in the same boat in some capacity. You, you, you may have been raised in a generation where you weren't exposed to that. Praise the Lord. But we're all capable of it. 
And at 10 years of age, 11 years of age, I'm given this. And this is now the formulating portion of my life for the remainder of my life. And, and as I took my son, Daniel, he's now 13, but when he was 12, I took him for a walkabout. He walked out a boy, came back a man. I sat him down with a number of men who I, I uh, cherished them speaking into my life. And they talked to him about what it meant to be a man. I took him up to the cemetery to see Carl Price's uh, gravestone and, and Igor Zubko's and, and talk about these men being good providers and, and uh, talk about what it means to be a man and that life is short and there's always going to be a, a, an end date on a tombstone and, and we're, we're not, we don't get out of this world alive. And we live in such a way that we have a testimony and that we leave people blessed and cared for. And this is what it means to be a man, you're a provider. And I walked my th- son through that because I said, at this point, you're going to come to a place where you're able to procreate. And you need to understand the responsibility that comes with that. And, and, I, and I said, when you open up the lid on, on pornography, you're, you're, I'm 47 years old, son. And, and, and since from the age of 11, 12 on to 47, the, the challenge in my life is to put the lid back on that box. I said, don't even open it. Son, walk away from it and walk in purity. Every day that my children have been alive, I've prayed this simple prayer. God, make them mighty in their generation for declaring your truths. I pray that you protect their purity and their innocence, that you give them a supernatural love for your word, a passion. The only way to overcome a passion is with a greater passion. God, let your word be a greater passion to them than the baubles and trinkets of this world. And God has been faithful to do that and bring conviction in the lives of my children. And as I was contemplating all this and looking at this, And seeing that the Apostle Paul says in in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. He's trying trying to to heal a city that has been decimated by sexual immorality. And he says, walk in love. And we covered that last week. You know, in the English language, it's the most overused and misunderstood word in the English language, love. It's just such a blob. But we, we, we defined it last week, and, and we know that agape love, as Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, and to lay down his life for a friend. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Agape love gives. It's the greatest form of love a human being can give. But then we came to understand phileo is the greatest form of love a human being can experience, and that's where two people lay their life down in agape love, and the byproduct is phileo, having the same love being of like mind. And that's where the Lord initiates and we respond. And we would say, God, you die for me? Yes, I love you too. I give you my life. And then as you lose your life, you gain a whole new one. And so when Paul says to these, these decimated families in the church at Ephesus, he says, be imitators of God as dear children. Now you have a wonderful father and he's gonna set the example. Just like I was teaching my son Daniel and I will soon teach my son Michael. And this is what dad wants you to know. And, as, and, and, and therefore be imitators of God. Son, I want you to walk. In such a way that that you would honor the Lord as dear children, walk in love. And then he says, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice of a sweet smelling aroma. A life lived for God is a life of selflessness and sacrifice. Now, why do I bring that up? Because as soon as Paul finishes this passage of scripture, he immediately goes in and say, but fornication and uncleanness and covetousness Let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for saints. You're different. Yes, you live in Ephesus. Yes, you live in Thousand Oaks. Yes, you live in in the decadent realm of Ephesus. Yes, you live in, in the sexually immoral realm of California. Yes, but you're saints. Don't forget that. You're set apart. You're different. 
You have been given the keys to the kingdom. You now understand what real love is. A love that sacrifices and a love that gives. A love that doesn't look at another human being as an object for their pleasure, but a love that lays their life down for the sake of that human being. And as God has loved you, so love one another. Lay your life down. Lay your life down. He immediately says, these are the three things you need to look out for. These are the things that the minute you give your heart to the Lord in this city of Ephesus, the minute you give your heart to the Lord in this city of Thousand Oaks, you are going to be inundated in a culture that is all about fornication. That's all about uncleanness. It's all about covetousness. And each of these three words are tied in. They're all in relation to the sexual experience. Uh, the, the word for fornication in the Greek is, is pornea, where we get the word pornography. And for those of you who are wondering what that means, it's real simple. All sexual intercourse outside the bonds of marriage, adultery, premarital sex, and prostitution. That is fornication. That is pornea. And, and, and the Lord says, you're saints. Don't even let that be named among you. It, it, it's no longer part of it. And if that wasn't enough, whatever, whatever fornication didn't cover, uncleanness does. Because in the, in the realm of the definition of this word, uh, the Lord points out that it's just simply this. Everything that fornication leaves out. For example, how far is too far? Well, if you can't do it with your brother or sister, then don't do it. That's too far. Well, that's kind of rough, Pastor. Take it up with the Lord. Any sexual activity, listen, this is uncleanness. Any sexual activity, pay attention. Any sexual activity, well, of course you're going to pay attention. I'm talking about sex. Any sexual activity that produces arousal in another person, pornography, literature, movies, Anything that's designed to arouse video games, that is uncleanness. Don't even let it be named among you. You know, one of the things I I love about my wife in this uh, number of things, one in particular is her chaste dress. Oftentimes, she'll be dressed to go out, and I'll go, you look hot. (laughs) And she'll go change. I go, wait, 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 wait. And she goes, if that does that for you, I don't want to do it for any other one. That's all for you, baby. <laughs> I don't like you. <laughs> and, and to watch as she navigates my daughters through this world of dress. You know, you, look, I'm not, I'm not advocating we all come in in burkas, right? You've got great ankles. <laughs> you know. I mean, you, just, you show an inch of flesh and the mind's going to go bonkers. And, you know, there's going to be folks in the, in, 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 in the world that no matter how you dress, they're still going to do the mental gymnastics. And uh, look, I'm not walking your walk for you. But if, I, if, 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 if to avoid someone from stumbling, you can take measures, that's, that'd be great. You know, the thing I've told my, my daughters and my sons, and, and, and actually as a youth pastor, this is the thing we've ingrained in the, the young people. And, and it, this, it's simply this, what you, what you win a man with is what you win him to. So if you win him with your body, you want him to your body. If you win him with your heart, you want him to your heart. Now, if you win him with your body, that's easy. I mean, guys, are just, we're visual. And then you dress in such a way that it draws attention to your body and, and you're flipping your hair and wearing low-cut whatever and all these things, men will be drawn to that. They'll be drawn to that. But I got news for you. Gravity takes a hold. And so does age, right? 
there's not enough collagen and shots and there isn't enough. You can't even peel it back. You know, you do so much facelift that you end up with a lump on your neck and someone says, what is that? And you go, I think it's my belly button. You know, it's, you, <laughs> hi, you know, and listen, if, what do I do with this right now? But the idea is, the idea is when, when your body starts to be affected by age and gravity, you've won the man to that, and so now he's going to be drawn to a newer model. But if you win him with your heart, you've won him to your heart. And I have news for you, 22 years of marriage, and my wife is, I won't say how old she is, she's 21 a little bit, but she gets, she gets younger and prettier to me. She's just stunning because of the presence of the Lord in her life. I mean, how is it that Sarah, married to Abraham, could walk into Egypt, which was the most advanced civilization on the face of the earth? They had cosmetics. They had beauty parlors. They had haircutting salons. They had all that stuff. They knew beauty. And she walks into Egypt, and all the women marvel at her beauty. How is that? It's the Lord. There's nothing hotter than a godly woman. Some of you are going, that's weird. How would you say it? Yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I think that's okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> the countenance and the joy. And, 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 you know, surveys point out that the, the people who are having the most satisfying sexual experiences are, are Christians. Faithful, monogamous relationships. Most satisfying sexual experiences. Why is that? Well, God created us subject to vanity. And, and when I ask couples that are going through uh, premarital counseling, I say, why did God create marriage? And, and they'll say, for procreation. I go, no, no, you can procreate outside of marriage. Just talk to the welfare world. We, it's real easy, right? Yes? You don't need marriage to procreate. No. So why is marriage? Well, here's why. Here's why. God created marriage, and, and he was describing in Genesis. He says, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he gets to the point where he says, but there was not found a helpmate suitable, and it was not good. God created marriage to cure the aloneness of man. We have been created, as Blaise Pascal said, with that God-shaped void. There's an emptiness. I mean, it, at 16 years of age, it's no fun to watch a sunset by yourself. I mean, you just turn on the radio, and you're like, oh. I just, and I miss him, or I, she's just so beautiful in the way she does her hair, and just, and you're, you're just, every song sends you into some, you know, dream, and, and you're always just lonely, and there's nobody who loves me, and you go through life with this longing to be loved and to love, because God never intended us to be alone. Now, he promised to be for us that, that he would be everything to us. But some of us just can't grasp that. Some of us haven't been given the gift of singleness where we can be content in the Lord. We, we want someone there that we can hold and talk to and share our deepest thoughts that will respond to us in such a way we're familiar with. And so we long to be loved and to love. We long to love and be loved. And, and so God created marriage to cure the aloneness of man. And, and here's what happens. That only comes when we walk in love, as the scripture says, that we lay our life down as a sacrifice. Even, even marriage is a microcosmic picture of God's love for the church. 
He's the groom, we're the bride. He initiated the love, he laid down his life, we responded, and the two have become one flesh. Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you, having the same love, being of like mind. When, when I realize the Lord did what he did for me, and I respond by saying, God, I give you my life, I, I want to do these things not to be saved, but because I am saved. I do these things not because I want to earn his love, but because I've received it. I respond to his love. It's, it's like my wife, she responds when I'm loving. God created a woman, the greatest need is to be loved. For a man, the greatest need is to be respected. But I was thinking about this idea, with, especially with my wife. You know, I, I wake up in the morning, honey, I love you. We're eating breakfast, I tell her I love you. I write a little note, I love you. Before I leave, I say I love you. I call her from the office, I love you. I come home, I give her a squeeze, I say I love you. And we eat dinner, I love you. And we're laying in bed and just getting ready to go to sleep. And she says, honey, I go, yeah, dear. She goes, do you love me? And, 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 and to come to a place where we lay our life down in sacrificial love. Uh, I've had this candid conversation with my sister who's a lesbian. And, and, and I'm not betraying a confidence. And she, I have her permission to share these things because we've talked. And I said to her one time, as she had asked me to perform the wedding for her and her life partner. She's, she's, uh, she's with somebody else now. And they've been together for a number of years. But prior to that, she wanted me to perform this wedding. I said, I can't. And as we went through the discussion on it, one of the things I said to her, I said, you know how I look at homosexuality? I said, homosexuality to me is the pinnacle of self-love. And she's like, how? What? What? I said, well, let me explain. Let me explain. I'm a guy. I know how guys think. I know how they act. I, 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 I know what I like. That's what a guy likes. I get it. For me to understand a man, it takes, it, it's a no-brainer. My wife, for her to understand a woman, not a problem. If I have a struggle with somebody in the congregation who's a woman, I go to my wife, she goes, oh, that's simple. This is what she's thinking. I'm like, oh, thank you. Where's the code book? <laughs> so, so to understand someone of the same sex is not hard. Everything I love about you is what I love about myself. I love you because you remind me of me. I love me, and thus I love you because you're me. It, 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 it's this, now, there is struggles in, in a homosexual relationship because there's always going to be selfishness. But the relatable part, and I told my sister, I said, for me to relate to a guy, not hard. For you to relate to a girl, not hard. But let me tell you what's crazy. I'm married to a woman. You know how hard that is to figure out? I don't, I don't understand her. I don't get it. I mean, first month of marriage, she's crying incessantly. Why are you crying? I just, I don't know. What's the problem? I'll fix it. I don't need you to fix it. Just hold me. What does holding you have to do with the problem? Tell me what it is. We'll fix it. I just want to talk. I'm done. What, what do you? It, my favorite. We're newly married. She doesn't, she doesn't communicate like normal men communicate. Men are clear to the point. This is, this is, what, this is what I want. This, okay, got it. Er, done. Facts. <laughs> she comes into the room. She goes, are these, are these your underwear on the floor here? 
Well, if they're not, I have questions for you. <laughs> Anywho. No, but it's like, hey, yes? What are you asking me? Well, do you want me to pick them up? Yes. Okay, next time, would you pick up your underwear? Well, it wouldn't be that, it wouldn't be that important then, would it? I think they want to be assured that we love them, so we have to know what they're thinking before they think it. So they ask us riddles. Does this dress make me look skinny? Uh, no, 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 the worst one. Does this make me look fat? I, mm, no, 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 no. So you're saying I was fat? No, 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 no. It's awful. It's a world I don't grasp. And it's all emotion. And everything's connected. And then it's all feelings. And then my wife, she doesn't get me. Just, just yesterday, I, I, her car was squeaking and the brakes and the noise and it just needed work. Hadn't been tended to. And so I was, I'd let her take my car to go to the lake. And I took the car into the best mechanic on the face of the earth, Mike Bose. Okay, there you go. All right. And I, I took the car into Mike, and, and he looked at it, and he said, let's get this, 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 and did it all work. I was so blessed by it, reasonable price, so thankful. Good work, and car sounds great. And I, I tell her, and, and she had the audacity. She said, what work was done? And I listed all the work. And she says, you know, I talked with my father about that. He's a Ford guy. I own all Chevys. <laughs> and, of course, my father-in-law has built his own AC Cobra. <laughs> he rebuilds engines for a living, you know. And so my wife says, well, what were, what were the prices on each of those? I go, wait, time out. Time out. I got a good deal. The car's running great. I'm not going to be insulted by you challenging me as a man that your father knows more than I. I've got a toolbox. It's a yellow pages and a credit card, woman. <laughs> and I got the job done. I hunted and I got it done. And it was a handshake with Mike Bowes and we got a friendship. And so that's all there is to it. Don't be bringing your dad into this, who's Tom Coletti anyway, so he's built cars, whop de doo And what I'm communicating to her is I want to be respected. I don't want your dad nitpicking and telling me, you know, I, I'm, I know how to lead this home, woman. But she looked at it, it wasn't, she just, I just wanted to know the price. Yeah, there's more to it. I'm, uh, that, oh, don't you go there. We're different creatures, and the only way we can come to an understanding is to lay down our life to come to understand each other, and we go through trials. And so in these moments where our hearts are knitted and we start to realize each other, and we get it, in, in this beautiful estate that God's given us of marriage, this microcosmic picture of Christ's love for the church, and He lays His life down, we lay our life down, the two become one flesh, His mind, our mind, His heart, my heart. I start to think like him and want to do things to bless him. Same in marriage. And you get to this place and God says, all right. Now your hearts are being knitted, yes. And, 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 and you, you love her. And there's just things. My wife, I love, she'll be doing, she'll, she'll be out in the garden with gloves and sweaty shirt. And she's, she's doing 
with the spade and planting and pulling out weeds. And this piece of hair, this little thing, just keeps dropping. She keeps doing this and drops back it's like 30 times. She keeps, and I'm looking at it going, you're hot. You know, it just, it's beautiful. And I, I just, I, I love her. I, just, I love everything about her. And the Lord says, I have a gift for you. Yeah? I like gifts. He says, I'm going to give you an expression of what you're feeling. Both physically and emotionally and spiritually, I'm going to give you the gift of sex. That the expression of what your heart is feeling and the knittedness, that the two become one, and that aloneness, you're able to express that together. Wow. I know the difference between sex and love. I was raised, as I told you, 10 and 11, this was the first thing. Women are objects, and this is, this is where my life went. I, I, can, I can remember being a lifeguard and, and wondering what that person's name, who that person was that I was with, and can't even recall. I remember, I remember after one of those nights where you had drawn the lines, you say, I'll never cross that line, and you wake up the next morning, and you've crossed multiple lines, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, in the emptiness of your soul. I wasn't a believer then. And you're thinking, who are you? What have you done? You feel empty inside. There's not enough drugs or drinking to make it go away. In the emptiness of that, you're just trying to figure out, who are you? And you know why you feel so empty? God made it that way. When you, pe- when you treat people like objects, you lessen their value. And since we're part of the human race, when you lessen their value, you lessen your value. And then we cheapen everything, and the culture just becomes a wash and a mess, and everybody's an object using somebody else. You know why pornography becomes violent? Why it becomes debased to a greater extent? Is because you have people engaging in a sexual act without intimacy. I don't know your name. There's no connection. It's just a physical act. And after a while, the anger of the absence of intimacy reflects itself in, in, in different perversions of pornography. It goes even deeper. And you, you, whatever you can imagine, it becomes brutal and angry. Because people are longing for intimacy, but they don't want to lay their life down, so they use everybody. And how, how badly can you use them? It becomes a world of anger and emptiness. Paul says, that's not for you guys. There's no fornication. There's no uncleanness. There's no covetousness. The idea of covetousness is that you, you know, as, as uh, Moses said in the commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You don't even go there and do the mental gymnastics. The greatest sexual organ we possess is our mind. And, and you know, you, you may be thinking you're getting away with stuff because you're just sitting there ruminating in your mind and doing the mental gymnastics, but the Lord says, you commit adultery in your mind, in your heart, you've committed adultery. Why? It's real simple. It's deception. There's no intimacy in deception. Your spouse knows something's not right. If you've got to do something in darkness, you're not walking in the light as he is in the light. It hinders your relationship with the Lord. It hinders your relationship with your wife. There's no closeness, and you feel all alone, and you, you feel isolated and alienated and ashamed. The Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. Listen, we've all had issues. We've all fallen. Be candid with your spouse. Confess your sins one to another. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Be forgiving as God is in Christ Jesus has forgiven you, so forgive one another. Work through it. We've all had issues. Work through it. Don't, don't look at your spouse when they confess something and go, you pervert. How awful. Well, thank you. I just shared my heart. Thanks for stomping on it. Appreciate it. 
God's been merciful to us. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I think we need to talk about it more. Talk it through. Don't use the marriage bed as a bartering tool. The world is ready to engage your spouse in any way, shape, and form. Satan would love to destroy intimacy. Don't use, don't use the gift God's given as a tool to win your argument. Don't do that. The idea is we're saints. And, and he says, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. We walk in that capacity. We honor the Lord. He goes on to say, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Oof, that's rough. No coarse jesting. You know, when you're outside the presence of your spouse, you go, oh yeah, that's my old lady. We're Christians. Let's not forget that. We're not like the world. We may live in Ephesus, but we're not of Ephesus. You ever talk to my wife out, uh, out of my presence, she will always honor me. I guarantee it. And I'll do the same with her. And coarse jesting, you can't just say, oh, I was only joking. doesn't work that way. It's still painful. And listen, reading this, I know every one of us has fallen short. It's all right. It's just a phone. I know that each of us has fallen short in some capacity. But the idea of no fornicator, unclean person, covetous man, idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God? He goes on to say, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. I, I took a look at a couple of other passages, and let me, let me read this one to you. This is, Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, which was, you think Ephesus was bad. Corinth was a mess. They, they had, in, even in the scriptures, it was de- described that a man was sleeping with his stepmother in the church. And, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I'm concerned with your purity, Paul says. For I have betrothed you to one husband, meaning the Lord, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, that you may well put up with it. And what he's saying is you're going to get people coming in and messing with you. And, and he, he said earlier on in 1 Corinthians, and listen to this. This is important. I'll tie it in and we'll be finished. He says, do you not know, listen, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It gets tougher. Listen, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think anyone's going to heaven in this room. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful to me, 
but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things will be brought under the power, I won't be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one with her body? The scripture says, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, let me explain this to you. I read that list. And we're all guilty. I'm not a homosexual. I ain't no sodomite. You're drunkard. I ain't no drunkard. You're a fornicator. No, I ain't. You ever lusted? Yeah, but that's guilty. Oh, I'm not going to heaven. All unrighteousness. Where's our righteousness come from? The Lord, it's imputed and put on our account. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We receive it by faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He gives us his righteousness, yes? Amen. Cast our sins as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. All sins, past, present, and future, wipe clean. Praise the Lord. That's called justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Wow. That's a good deal. You don't receive that, you're an idiot. No, I'm serious. Man gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. I'm in. You believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. He cleanses you of all unrighteousness, puts his righteousness on your account. Wow, now sanctified means set apart. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, now you've been cleansed and you're righteous because Christ's righteousness is put on your account. And now sanctified, set apart, you're saints. Walk as such. Flee sexual immorality. Why? Real simple. Every other sin is outside the body. But sexual immorality, mm, that hits at the heart of our worship. Why? Well, the same way it hits at the heart of a marriage. It's the one thing God permits divorce for. Because when a heart is broken, it's hard to mend it. You see... The Lord longs for intimacy with his creatures, with his children. And when we walk in deception and we unite ourselves physically with someone else in an expression of intimacy and we align ourselves with the world and its vile practices, there's no intimacy there. But when we obey God and we honor in the context of marriage, God blesses and families are strengthened. Let me go further with that in relation to walking in such a manner that would be worthy of the Lord and to honor Him in all ways. In this expression of intimacy that God has given us. God's pointing out this. Yeah, I know we all fail. But that's not keeping you out of heaven. See, for the Christian, sin becomes the exception, not the rule. 
What do I mean by that? The Bible says you'll know they're Christians by their fruit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. That's a good one. <laughs> All right, now wait. Here we go. I'm almost finished. Here we go. And I'm going to throw this out because it's a season for it, and my fruit tree is barren right now, and I just wanted to see if any of you would respond to this. But my favorite fruit is a Santa Rosa plum. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Okay. <laughs> so if you have any extras, you just want to put them in a bag, and I'll take them home with me. <laughs> I love Santa Rosa plums, and I have a Santa Rosa plum tree out in my backyard. And this year, nothing. I'm angry. I look forward to that every year. There's nothing more delicious than a chilled, ripe Santa Rosa plum, and it's barren. I want to curse it. Watch the leaves wither. Burn it. Maybe another one. Why am I saying this? Because I love plums. Let's go home. No. Uh, no, I'm saying it because of this. If you tell me that you come to me and go, Pastor, I know your plum tree is, doesn't have any plums, so I, I bought you a plum tree. And you bring in a little pot. And I want you to have this plum tree, and it's just laden with fruit. And I go, huh, yeah, it is laden with fruit, but those are oranges. Oh, no, Pastor, those, those are Santa Rosa plums. No, no, they're, they're the peel and the citrusy, and they're oranges. They're orange. Do you see they're orange? Yeah, yeah, but no, that's a plum tree. You can tell me it's a plum tree, but by the fruit, I can tell you it is an orange tree. You can tell me you're a Christian. You may be in church. And Jesus one day will look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Knew is an intimate term. You can claim the name of Christ and walk around with the biggest Bible on the planet. But if you don't have intimacy with the Lord and you are in practicing infidelity and known sin, you're not named as the children of God. There's no fruit on your tree. Now, there are going to be seasons where you're going to have a little bit of fruit or none at all. And those are going to be trying times. And I get it. That doesn't keep us out of heaven. And there's two ways to look at what Paul's saying here. And, and this is it. You can either go here or here. I want to be in the middle. Hey, diddle, diddle, right down the middle. Here's how it works. Over here, I can do legalism on you. No sodomites, no, no pedophiles, no homosexuals. No fornicators, no drunkards, none of you going to heaven. You're evil, you're wicked, you're bad. You need to get right. Walk in purity. And if you're doing that, you're going to hell. You're going to be cursed by the devil. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do. You don't go to movies. Women, you got to wear those dresses that don't, don't show no ankles. Don't show no curves. You wear the three-piece suit, and you better carry a Bible big enough, and it better be a good one. It better be King James only. Uh. Go find another church. <laughs> or we can go to this side. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was sufficient for all the world's sins. And so I, I, everyone's going to heaven. And, you know, just be patient with people. And if they're engaged in sexual immorality or they're involved in this relationship or homosexuality or, or fornication or drunkardness, just let them do it. They're all going to heaven. Why do you have to be so legalistic? Can't you be gracious? No. Jesus died on the cross because sin is ugly. And because we love him, we walk away from it. Let me ask you a question. 
Is there a woman in this room who would be thrilled to have her husband be with another woman? Well, then why would the Lord? You think he's just going to look the other way? And you're going to claim to be married to this woman while you're engaged with this other one? That you claim to be intimate and honest and forthright? That you claim to have everything in common, you've laid your life down, when in reality you're in the arms of another person? That's deception. That's not intimacy. Flee sexual immorality. Flee legalism. All things are permissible, not all things are profitable. I'm not here to make everyone wear burqas, but I will say this. We're saints. Live accordingly. I think the gentle, gentle exhortation of an older woman to a younger woman, sweetie, you may not want to wear that. That's a little over, that's a little too revealing. As opposed to coming in the church and going, you are not stepping in here like that. Nobody's welcome in here that's dressed like that. Hoochie mama, get out of here. Brazened hussy. First, first time to church and they're leaving. Thank you. I would rather have the other person leave. I don't care if you come wrapped in cellophane. Sit down, we'll get a shawl for you. I want you to hear the gospel. But as you mature in the Lord, start to realize that we're saints and we walk accordingly. And start to see what God means by fleeing sexual immorality. You, know, you, just, you just don't want poor guys to be doing the mental gymnastics. And, and, and I, I think about it. There's all kinds of ways that sexual immorality creeps in its ugly head. I'm going to add one more to you. Pride and prejudice, sense and sensibility. I get a little tired of that. I've watched Pride and Prejudice 50 times. The long BBC version. <laughs> That's great. It's so good. Elizabeth. <laughs> here's, what, here's what I get concerned with. Don't be fantasizing about what it could be. Rejoice in what you have and build on it. There's just as much evil in fantasizing that as it is anything else. Folks, this is life. It's intimate. Be honest with one another. Stay away from fornication. Stay away from uncleanness. Stay away from covetousness. No filthy language. We are saints. We may live in Ephesus, but our home is in heaven. And we represent our Father. And we walk accordingly. From the age of 11 to 47, I've been asking the Lord to strengthen my heart and to put the lid back on that box. God's faithful. I would have never have imagined 22 years of faithful marriage and my children being raised in purity. God is good. Let's keep building those families. Amen?